The Bible reading today is taken from John 11. Now, there was a man named Lazarus who was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Lord, if he sleeps he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. (laughs) On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Your brother will rise again. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come to the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was at a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord. Upon hearing this, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was, a, it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone. But one, then one of the dead man's sisters, Martha, said, But Lord, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? 
So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth on his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's been uh, suggested that there are no more fundamental questions, uh, uh, two actually, uh, two fundamental questions we can ask than uh, the one that's on the screen. One is, does God care? But the one before that is, does God exist? Does God exist? And if he does, does he care? There are all sorts of reasons why we might ask those questions. We may be struggling with loneliness or loss or sickness We might feel under pressure. We might be anxious or stressed at school or at work. We might be looking at the world around us and looking at all sorts of uh, different things like violence and all kinds of evil and trying to understand those things. Is God there? And if he is, does he care? seems to me that uh, these two questions are never asked with greater frequency, uh, greater urgency, greater seriousness than at times of conflict, human conflict, and during times of great personal loss and tragedy. And so whether we're thinking of the sodden trenches of northern Europe a hundred years ago, or we're thinking thinking of some of the bombed out cities of modern day Ukraine... Whether we are uh, thinking about the treatment rooms in the Christie Hospital or whether we're just asking these questions in the quietness of our own homes and our own bedrooms. Is God there? Does he care? Well, friends, the passage that we heard read by those young people just a few moments ago is a great place to go to on Remembrance Sunday. And just think about what the answer to those questions is. Is. So if you've got a Bible, there are Bibles in the, in the pews around you. I'll invite you to, to pick up a Bible, turn back to uh, page 1077. That's where you'll get the, the sort of text, if you like. It's really important, actually, that you do follow through and you see that whoever stands up in, at the front of a church and talks to you is actually talking to you from God's Word. You don't need to hear what I think. You need to hear what God thinks about these things. Now, this story that we heard is one page 1077 if you want to follow John chapter 11 this story that we heard is not a straightforward story it doesn't play out as we would expect there are a number of surprises there are a number of shocks in 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 this story and I just want to draw briefly three shocks to your attention three surprises that are in this passage you might have thought this as you heard that it being read for us you might have thought oh what why why did they why did john record that so here we go then just three uh, three brief uh, things to think about from this passage the first shock is this we see a god of love who does nothing 
We see a God of love who does nothing. I don't know if you got that, but if you look at, um, uh, at verse um, uh, 5, it's, uh, Jesus says in verse 5 that, uh, it says in verse 5 that Jesus loved the family. Jesus loved Mary. He loved Martha. He loved Lazarus. This was a family that he was close to. He is a God of love, and yet, verse 6 says, that when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he delayed where he was for two more days. He did nothing. What, why did he do that? Why did Jesus stay put? I mean, when someone is, in, is sick or someone is in desperate need, you don't stay put, do you? You go to their help. You, go, you see, see what you can do. I remember when, uh, a few years ago now, my father was uh, taken seriously ill very quickly. He was in North London. I was in the north of Scotland. I got on the first plane out of Inverness that I could to get back to, to see him and, and to, to see if I could help my mum. It's what we do, isn't it, when someone is ill? But not Jesus. Uh, at least not, not, not here in, in, in this passage. Why is that? Actually, I bet some of us can relate to Mary and Martha here. I'm sure we feel this all the time, don't we? We ask questions of God. We say, God, can you help me in this situation? God, please, will you do this? And yet all we hear when we ask God this is silence. It appears that God has not moved towards us. It appears that God has not come and answered whatever it is that we are asking him to do. Maybe it is one of those basic questions. Are you there? Show me you're there. Do you care? Show me you care, Lord, in this situation. And yet, like Mary and Martha, we hear nothing. But for Mary and Martha, it actually gets worse. I don't know if you pick, pick this up. Not only does Jesus do nothing, but he seems to be glad about it. Did you hear that in the passage? So if you take a look at verses 14 and 15, it says this, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there. Wait, what? Jesus is glad? He wasn't there when his mate died? Well, hang on. We need to read on immediately what comes next. For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you might believe. So that you might believe. This is so important. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. There is a reason for his delay. And the reason, it turns out, is actually a benefit. And sometimes, you know, pain and suffering can bring benefits. Sometimes waiting and delaying is for our own good. You may be looking at me going, what are you talking about, John? Well, if you just think about what, we, what happens when we go to the hospital. And if you just think about what happens maybe when you're at the hospital with a young child. I think back to when my eldest son uh, was uh, not at an age uh, where he could reason for himself. Some may say, no, I'm not going to go there. Um, <laughs> um, but, but he was a very young baby, and he was in hospital, and he wasn't very good, and the doctors wanted to take some blood. Now, my son, all he knew was there was an, a man there with, with a needle. He didn't know why he, it was happening. He was being jabbed with it. He was screaming. He was crying. My wife and I were, were really upset at, at what was going on, but we knew ultimately that when the doctors took a sample of his blood, they could work out what was wrong with him. It was for his benefit. It was important. And actually, it's a bit like that with Jesus. Sometimes waiting is for our own good. His plan, if you like here, was necessary. His plan, his waiting actually helped 
There was something more important for them to discover. Well, you might feel that's just God playing with us, though. I can't see how he cares. You say, you know, say he's, he, he, he's, a, he's a God who, of love, but it still feels like he's playing with us. It still seems like he does nothing. Well, here's our next shock in the account. Shock number two. Shock number two is that this is a God of absolute power who has tears in his eyes. Tears in his eyes. No, he might not have rushed to his mate's side when he, when he heard he was ill, but he's at the funeral. He's there now. He's at the funeral, and he is really upset. So verse 30, uh, 33 says that he was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. When he sees the reality of his friend dead, verse 35, he wept. Jesus cried. He is there crying. Friends, we need to know this truth. God is not uh, immune and separate from, from the pain that, that, we, that we feel he is, he is not distant. He's not uncaring. He's not without compassion. No, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, God entered into the mess of our human existence. He entered into that mess with all its pain, with all its deceit, with all its selfishness, with all its illness, and yes, even with its death. Time and again in this passage, Jesus is described as being deeply moved. I don't know if you picked that up when you heard it being read. The the, the phrase is deeply moved. I mean, actually, it's a bit more than that. The experts think that what what the sort of a a more realistic translation is this, is that Jesus was indignant. He was really frustrated. He was outraged, possibly. Maybe even angry. This is where this this, this phrase in the original language is taken. This is what Jesus is feeling as, as he witnesses what he witnesses. And it's not this, this, this sort of anger, this indignation, this, this frustration. It's not pointed at those he, he loved. It's not pointed at Mary or Martha or Lazarus. John is very clear that Jesus loved them. No, Jesus is angry at the invasion of pain into his creation. He is outraged at the imposition of death in this life. These things were never part of God's original creation, God's original design. And so I'm certain that when God looks at all the pain and he looks at all the selfishness and he looks at all that death in human history and, in, and conflict over the years, he is deeply moved by it. He knows it doesn't belong. You know that too, don't you? (laughs) You know it doesn't belong. You look at it instinctively and say, that's not right. You know evil is wrong. You know injustice is is wrong. It's not part of of something that you hope this existence in, 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 in this life is about. And that's the right thing to, 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 to be, to be deeply moved, to express those emotions. Jesus did it. He modeled that for us. It's right for us to be deeply moved like the God of power who has tears in his eyes. That's a right emotion. Nevertheless, we need to be careful and we need to be very honest here. 
Because there's not only evil and injustice out there, there's also evil and injustice in here, in our own hearts. The Russian novelist Alexander Solzhenitsky got this after the Second World War. He was a fierce critic um, of the Soviet regime, and for his trouble, he got interned into a forced labor camp. Uh, They were known as the Gulags. And while he was in this camp, he observed that, uh, you know, that way of dividing up the world, you know, the, the, the way of dividing up the world between goodies over here and baddies over here, well, that was all really too simple. You know, because when we do that, when we divide the world up like that, we, we put a dividing line and we say, there's all the baddies and here's all the goodies and guess where I am? <laughs> I'm over here. And in this forced labor camp, when he was looking at all that was going on around him, he said, it's much more complicated than that. The line separating good and evil, he said, goes through every human heart. It goes through every human heart. Yes, there is evil out there. But there is also evil and injustice in in here too. And God is deeply, deeply moved by that. He's angered by it. He's outraged by it could say maybe not directed at us or is it directed at us but maybe it's a, a directed at our continual rebellion against him in this life ignoring him in this life living selfishly in this life it's not how he designed this world to be it's not great news is it <laughs> it's not great news it's depressing news sad news but there's still mercifully there's still one more surprise to go in this story There's still one more shock. And this is shock number three. The shock number three in this story is that the God of resurrection is offering hope to every single one of us. The God of resurrection is offering hope to every one of us. Take a look at verse 43. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! Verse 44, the dead man came out. This is incredible. Lazarus has been dead in the tomb four days and he is alive. He comes back to life. And we need to know that Jesus has the power to do that. We need to know that this morning. Jesus has the power to do that. That's the reason why he delayed. It's part of the reason why he delayed to show that power. Look what I can do. Even the dead will come back to life. But more than that, and this is a really important thing, more than that, is that that power to bring the dead back to life can be extended to every single one of us. Every single one. This is the Christian hope. This is is what the Christian hope is in in a nutshell, if you like. It is a a resurrection after death, after our death, and to eternal life, being reunited with a loving God who created each one of us. And it's all centered around Jesus. In verse 25, he makes an astonishing claim. He says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he adds a question. Do you believe this? That is a question that reverberates down through the millennia to Hartford Parish Church this morning. Jesus is asking, do you believe this? 
And sometimes he is using the waiting. Sometimes he is using the pain that we feel. Sometimes he is using the injustice that we see and that we experience ourselves. Sometimes he is using the confusion. Sometimes he is using illness. And sometimes, yes, he is even using death around us to sharpen our senses to the vital importance of this question. He is a God of love who sometimes appears to do nothing. He is the God of absolute power with tears in his eyes. And he is the God of resurrection offering hope to every single one of us. The question is, do we believe it? Do we believe it? I've got a short video to show you. Take a look at this. To those who chose to be so brave, to those who rest within the grave, to those who fell and did not rise, with bayonets in hand and fear in eyes, to those who lay on Flanders fields, to those blanketed in poppy seeds, to the trench diggers, barbed wire bargers and front foot chargers, to the privates, lieutenants and camped at war tenants, to the ones who didn't make it back alive, may they know John 11, 35. To those fighting at sea, sand or land, to those who see war at first hand, to the Normandy landers, to the beach stormers and cliff climbers, to those who lived at the sword and died at the sword, to the war zone patrollers and fresh faced enrollers, to the heat seeking missile controllers, to the every generation of soldiers, may their hearts bind to two words from John 11 35. To those with battles back at home, to those isolated and alone, to those who grieve and no loss of sleep, to those with pain that cuts so deep, to those who know the ache of loss, to those who paid such a cost, to those who know loss of their soulmate, to the ones who not yet know their fate, to the thinkers, feelers and mind blockers, to the bedridden and rage driven, to the unforgiving and unforgiven, to those whose joy was long left behind, may they know John 11, 35. To those who fight for what is right, to those who long to reunite, to those who know their time is close, to those who know that pain the most, to those who feel there's nothing left, to those fighting till their final breath, to the cancer bearers and the cancer carers, to the last post players and the hopeless full swayers, to the light searchers, may they find that the end of the tunnel is John 11:35. To those who breathe with lung-filled pain, or wonder why the world is still the same, to those who have given up on faith, to the ones who feel that nowhere's safe, to the ones who see through a suffering mist, to the ones that doubt that God exists, to the screamers, tearers, and silent speakers, to the guilt-built and shame-keepers, 
May they know that He weeps with us. To those who replay trauma in their mind, may they know John 11, 35. May we all know John 11, 35.